listening to Redeemer Church of Denton's sermon audio. For more information about Redeemer Church, visit us online at RedeemerDenton.com. Well, Bobby woke up in a, in a cold sweat and he rolled over in bed and saw that it was 2.30 a.m. And, and he realized, okay, this is the third time this week this has happened. And, and he, he thought to himself, you know, maybe I'm having a panic attack. And, and he said in, to, to himself, he said, you know, I under, that would be understandable because all that was spinning around him. Bobby hated his job which led to a lot of unhappiness in his life. But, but that week, his group had heard that his company was doing layoffs. And so not only was he unhappy, but now he was fearful because of it. And, and maybe uh, to make matters worse is he, he'd been here before. He had been laid off before a few years earlier, and it took him about six months to find a new job. And it was just hard in that season. And maybe to compound it all uh, even further, as he looked over to his wife, she was four months pregnant with their first baby. Now, listen, Bobby uh, was a Christian, and he knew that he was supposed to frame all of this uh, through the lens of the gospel, but his thoughts kept returning to all these mounting problems in his life. He, he knew that he, he needed to wait on God, but he also felt like he was stuck in the wilderness. Psalm 63 is important for all of us because even if you're not in the wilderness waiting right now, you're going to be at some point in your life. And th this is what this psalm is all about, is that it's talking about those times where uh, the circumstances of our lives just consume us in a way uh, to where it takes our eyes off the eternal things. It takes our eyes off the good things of life, the promises of God that we have. And we're all there, right? We all have these moments where we're waiting in the wilderness, where we're consumed by our earthly problems, even to the degree of losing our hope and losing our joy. Maybe it's a money problem or a health problem. Maybe one of your children is really going to struggle. Maybe uh, uh, the one you like doesn't like you back. Those are, those are real seasons of waiting, real seasons of the wilderness, right? And you see, no, maybe you're like Bobby, where you're not uh, sure how you're going to be able to provide for a young family. And maybe you're like King David from uh, 1 Samuel, where, where maybe someone is actually pursuing you to kill you or to harm you. Like those are these hard waiting seasons, these wilderness seasons. And this is what Psalm 63 is all about. How are we supposed to navigate those seasons? Now, if, if you look at the, the, the top, even before verse 1, likely your Bible has a subscription there. And, and many of the Psalms have this. And uh, they're kind of meant to be this little description to give you maybe some context of the Psalm. Now, we don't view them as part of the inerrancy of Scripture. Um, maybe they were added later. Maybe they're not even, even true. But I think in this case, Case, uh, it gives us some context of what's going on. In, in my version, it says that this is a Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judea. Now, this is, there's a couple of times where uh, David had these really hard wilderness seasons in his life, but most likely this refers to the time where he was hiding from King Saul in the wilderness from 1 Samuel uh, chapter 21 to 24. Now, if, if this is indeed true, okay, if this is what this psalm was about and David wrote it or he wrote it even, even during the wilderness or maybe he wrote it afterwards looking back at his time in the wilderness, then this gives us some real context to what's going on. He's going through one of those seasons that is really painful. It's really scary. He, he, these are not the circumstances that he wants. 
He wants this thing to change, and it's not changing quick enough or, or in his timing. But that gives us some really helpful context on how to navigate those things. Now, if you don't remember the story of David and King Saul, let me just kind of sum it up for you briefly. Saul was this first king of Israel. And Saul is best categorized as not a faithful king of Israel, right, if you, if you remember him. Now, David and Saul had a relationship uh, uh, prior to uh, David becoming king, and it started with that Saul would be overcome by fear, overcome by such lack of faith that he would have these just fits of depression, these fits of rage. And David was good at playing the harp, and so they brought this kid in to just play the harp for him in order to calm him down. So that's kind of where their relationship began. But if you remember the story of David, the prophet comes and says, this is, this is God's uh, selection for the next king of Israel, anoints him, but then there's this long season of waiting before David actually becomes king. David then enters into the, the household of King Saul, and he becomes best friends with who? Do you remember who he becomes best friends with? With Jonathan. This is Saul's son. Now, in Saul's eyes, Jonathan should have been the heir apparent, right? Well, in God's eyes, David was the heir apparent. Now, Saul, what he should have done is laid that out clearly and made David the heir apparent. But that's not what Saul does, right? Saul becomes very uh, suspicious of David, and, uh, and he thinks David is trying to take his throne. And so he ends up trying to kill David, and then David flees into the wilderness. And that's where Psalm 63 comes, is that Saul and his men are pursuing David in order to kill him. The wilderness is not a place you want to be. When we see these pictures of the wilderness in the Bible, it's, it's not talking about, you know, you know having a stroll through some, a beautiful uh, 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 field or with streams or something. This is talking about an uninhabitable place. This is not a place you want to be. In the wilderness, it was uncultivated. It was unlivable. It was wild. No one chose to be in the wilderness. The wilderness was a dangerous place. However, there are times when God puts us in the wilderness, right? And that's what's going on here in the story of David and in the story of Psalm 63. But you see this in other places. Like go all the way back even to Adam and Eve, right? When they uh, did not trust God and His Word and, and went a different path, then God took them out of the garden and put them in the wilderness. You see it in the book of Exodus, right? When God takes His people out of slavery, He's taking them right to the edge of the promised land, but then they get scared. Then they have this moment of lack of faith. And then what does he do? He, he puts them in the wilderness for 40 years. So, so God uh, can put us in the wilderness. And, and let me say it this way too. God does good things when we're stuck in the wilderness. If we believe this to be true, then we need to ask ourselves the, some questions. The first question I want to ask here is when you are stuck in the wilderness, do you long for the Lord? Follow along as I read verses 1 to 4. O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory, because, you are steadfa because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands." In general, I think our first question is, is do you long for the Lord? What about when you're stuck in those waiting wilderness seasons of your life? When, when you're there, like verse 1, do you earnestly seek Him during those times? 
You, you see, many times when you're stuck waiting in the wilderness, there, there's a temptation to get further away from God rather than getting close to God. So, so when David was in the wilderness, in this wild place, he was thirsty, he longed, he was without. However, he sought water for his weary soul from the Lord above anything else. He, he abandoned trying to find uh, soul satisfaction from his circumstances or the things around him that he couldn't control, and he went straight to the Lord. He believed that God was his solution in that moment. He clung to him. He longed for him. He didn't seek salvation from within. He didn't seek salvation from the created world. He sought salvation from the Lord himself when he was stuck in the wild. When you're in the wilderness wondering, uh, wondering if that friendship or that relationship is ever going to be restored, do you earnestly seek the Lord for your solution? Do, do you double down on your trust of Him and find your hope in Him or in something else? And these things can be subtle, right? Well, on the things that we're hoping in, we're in those dark places. Do you believe that God is the one who can satisfy you? Can you say like the psalmist in Psalm 42 where he says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the loving God. Really what I'm asking here is in those seasons, when you're stuck in the wilderness, do you get closer to God? Do you go into the sanctuary for the solution? Th this is what David is doing here. When he's in those dark seasons, in those hard places, he looks for the solution in the right place. Like when we're, when we're in those waiting wilderness seasons, thirsty souls is a great description of where we are. But, but the question is, is where are you looking for your solution? And what he does is it's in his sanctuary is where our salvation is found. Now, in David's day, the sanctuary was in the tabernacle, right? And if you don't know what the tabernacle was, it was basically like a, like a portable temple, okay? And it had the Holy of Holies, and that's where God dwelled. God was outside of that as well. But, but that was their understanding of, of the tabernacle, is when you went into the sanctuary of God, you were going into his presence, okay? Now, David's stuck in a cave somewhere, and he can't get to the, to the tabernacle or to the sanctuary in that sense, but he's able to go into the presence of God. It's the sanctuary where he finds his salvation. So when we're uh, terrified about the directions our kids are taking, we, we don't need platitudes about hope and love. We need the person of Jesus, right? We need to go into his presence. When we have real things going on, cat poster platitudes are very useless, we need a person in that moment, right? We need to go into his presence. We need to lean on him. We need to be in his presence. We need to go uh, further into the sanctuary. We don't need something like the force in Star Wars, which is this, this thing that's out there. It's not a person. It doesn't have feelings. It kind of does these things. We need a person. We need someone who is powerful and strong. We, we need someone that we can cry out to in our time of need. We need to behold His power and His glory in verse 2. That's what happens when we really go into His presence, right? When you're in the sanctuary with God, you see Him for what He is. You, you see His power. You see His glory. And so going into His presence means that you see and sense and experience His magnificence. You see His strength. So for example, when you have financial problems and when you go closer to God, you're going to be encouraged by doctrines that He's all-powerful and He's all-loving. When you're in those moments, you, you might be reminded of verses like, like Psalm 50 where he says that uh, for, every, uh, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and, and that moves uh, in the field is mine. 
When you're in those moments and you go into the sanctuary, you go into his presence and you see his power and you see his glory, you might be reminded like verses of, of Romans 8.39 reminds us that nothing is able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the result of going into his presence is that you see his power, you see his goodness, you see his strength, you get to experience all these things and then you look at your problems with a gospel perspective. His sanctuary is our salvation. Now the reason why the reason why that we should long for the Lord when we're stuck in the wilderness waiting and the reason why we're to go into the sanctuary for his salvation is all based upon his hesed uh, uh, unconditional covenant love for us and if you're new with us and again we go through the Psalms every year but we've said that listen the theme of the psalm is is really tied up in that that one word it's maybe translated uh, steadfast love in, in your translation. But the Hebrew word behind that is this, this term hesed. And, it, and it's really a reference to this unconditional uh, love that God has for us. And again, this is the theme of all the Psalms. That he has this covenant, unconditional love for us that just remains. Through all the ups and downs, through the high moments of great faith, through the low moments of, of very little faith or lack of faith, that covenant remains with us. That love remains. And this is what we base all of this on. That's why we long for him. That's why we can go into the sanctuary. It means that God's love will remain for us no matter what happens or, or what we do because it's, based upon, uh, it's not based upon our obedience, but it's based upon his covenant. That's the Hesed love that he has for us. Which means that even though David is stuck in this cave hiding for his life, He's able to joyously confess that God's unconditional love is, verse 3, that it's better than life. None of us have maybe been in such an extreme moment that David had been in. But he looks around at his circumstances, and then he compares it to God's unconditional covenant love, and he says that's better even than this life. Even though his circumstances are not what he wants, he's able to praise God with his lips. His heart blesses God. He's lifted up in praise of God. Another way of saying this, and I'm a Southern Baptist, so I alliterate all this stuff, but uh, Hesed is our happy place, isn't it? Like that love that God has for us, that's our happy place. That's where we find joy no matter the circumstances around us. Okay, the second question. When you're stuck in the wilderness, uh, well, the first one is, do you long for the Lord? The second question is, is when you're stuck in the wilderness, do you cling to the Lord? Follow along as I read 5 to 8. My soul will be satisfied as with uh, fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. Have some of you been there? Verse 7, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you and your right hand upholds me. David's soul clings to God when he's stuck in the uh, waiting in the wilds of this wilderness and again, he's gone into the presence of God. He, he's gone into the sanctuary. He's seen God as his solution. And as a result of that, even though his body is hungry, his soul is experiencing satisfaction. So his heart is full, quote, as with 
uh, fat and rich food, verse 5. Even, even though his present circumstances are not what he wants, he would love for this to end right now, and it's not ending. God's making him wait. Even though those circumstances are not where he wants them, his soul is satisfied. It's because he has something better than the circumstances around him. Being in God's presence or being in his sanctuary, it leads to soul satisfaction uh, even when we're stuck in the wilderness. But how? How, how do we do that? As I read through that, that was my question, right? Okay, that all sounds good. It sounds great here on Sunday morning in church. But how do we do that? Soul satisfaction comes through remembering. What are we remembering? The the psalmist says in verse 6, When I remember you upon my bed and meditate uh, on you in the watches of the night. You see, when we're stuck waiting in the wilderness to the degree that it's just waking us up at night, And we can be thinking about anything else. What are we thinking about? What are we remembering in those moments? Years ago, uh, I was on staff at a church, and it went through a church split. And if you've ever been through something like that, it's just painful. And and it was just painful for a lot of us. And it was just one of those just wilderness waiting seasons for us. Like like we did not want this. We we love this church. We love being there. We, We didn't want this to happen. And, and we would pray earnestly, okay, God, carry us through this. And he just, he wasn't fixing it the way we wanted it. He wasn't fixing it in the timing that we wanted it. And then we were just stuck waiting, and it just wasn't going the direction we wanted. And there were many nights that just in the agony of all that was going on around me, I would just wake up in the middle of the night, and I just couldn't go back to sleep. And, and, and I would just spend these nights praying and just crying out to God, like he uh, says here, for, for his help. You know, I was... That's just where, where I was. And it was a temptation to be overcome by all these uh, worries that I had. And I had to go back and remember certain things. Like, even though my circumstances were not where I wanted, I had to go back and remember th- some things. I had to remember how he was my help, verse 7. I had to go back to those biblical stories of his faithfulness to his people. I had to go back to his hesed love. I had to preach to myself that I was under the shadows of his wings of protection, verse 7. So the way to cling to God in the wilderness is to remember your history of hesed love with him. And listen, you know, you need to have those moments in your life, those experiences from your own story. But hear me, even if you don't have any of those, which I know you do, there's a whole Bible filled with them. You're to go back to those and say, you know what? If God, if you're powerful enough to take your entire people out of slavery, you can handle this. You see, we're to go back and remember those stories. Some questions for you. Again, are you clinging to him? Are you holding tight? Are, are you fighting to control your thoughts as you lay awake in bed at night? Are you remembering? You see, when we trust God through the hard times, we end up experiencing His right hand upholding us, verse 8. That's what comes from that when we remember. These first eight verses, they just give us some gold, don't I? Don't they? These priceless instructions that God has given us here of, of how to navigate those sleepless nights, how to, how to navigate those moments when things are not going the way that we want or things aren't happening in the timing that we want. David didn't want to be in that wilderness. He wanted this season of his life to be over with. It gives us these uh, incredible insights and guidance on how to navigate those seasons. So you can think of it this way, that it helps us in the present, how to think about the present in those moments, that we're to long for the Lord, we're to cling to Him, we're to go into His sanctuary or into His presence, we're to remember His hesed love. 
This last section does something a little bit different. It talks about what we're supposed to believe about the future. Look with me at 9 to 11. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down to the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. My last question for you here is, when you are stuck in the wilderness, do you believe that he will make all things right? You see, the, the psalmist teaches us that when we're stuck in the wilderness, we're to believe that God is going to make all things right and whole and new. You see, typically, uh, the, the reason you're in the wilderness is because some sort of brokenness in this world, right? Like maybe it's something that, that someone has, has done. There's like this individual sin. Going back to that, uh, uh, going back to Bobby and his sleepless nights and, and this fear of her being laid off. Maybe the brokenness that he's experienced in this world is not attributed to like one individual. Maybe it's just kind of to the brokenness of this world or, or brokenness of industries or, or whatever it is. It's brokenness that leads us in there. For example, if, uh, if, if you remember 2008 and you owned a house or were trying to sell a house in that time, that was just broken times, right? And maybe it wasn't an individual whose fault it was. It was this combination of things that led to that economic collapse, but it was brokenness of the world. So it's brokenness that leads us into those moments. And again, many times we're in that, in that wilderness uh, because things simply are just not as they should be. And again, verses 1 to 8 help us navigate the present. But this section helps us navigate the present in a different way. It, it doesn't uh, help us just see what's in front of us. It helps us see the, the things that are in our future. He calls us to our future and what's going to happen uh, when Jesus returns. You see, in our future, he's going to make all things right. If you've been with us the last few weeks, you know, we've looked at uh, this glorious future we had. And we ended with Revelation 21 that talks about the new heavens and the new earth. And in that place, when the king returns, he sets up his rule in this perfect way. Okay, you don't have economic collapses like 2008 in the kingdom of God, right? The, the, the systems work as they're supposed to work. You see, when the king returns, he sets up justice, right? Now listen, justice, when he restores justice, there's maybe two ways to look at that. Like there's some people, uh, and they're called the wicked people, and they hate justice, right? So, so criminals hate that moment. But, but for those who are trying to walk faithfully with the Lord, they love when that king returns and restores justice. The king makes all things right, and he brings about justice and wholeness. What I'm getting at is that God doesn't wink at sin. Like when you're walking in this thing, Maybe it's because of an individual. Maybe it's because of the brokenness of the world. Hear me, God does not wink at sin. When David was in that cave, God was not winking at the sin of those people who were trying to pursue him and destroy his life, verse 9. Those wicked men will indeed face justice, even going down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over, verse 10. That's the hope that he has in that moment, that God will come and bring about justice. And for the middle school boys, this is a great image in here. Look at verse 10. He says that those who are seeking to destroy him will be food for the jackals. How about that? Okay. How about some justice there, baby? Again, God doesn't wink at David's struggles. And likewise, when you're struggling, 
God doesn't wink at your struggles. He, he doesn't wink at sin. He doesn't wink when someone abuses someone else or someone oppresses someone else or someone sins against someone else. A key aspect of God making everything right is that He's going to address all those sins. So if your wilderness is that you're a, a child and your parents are mistreating you, hear me that God will make that right in the end. Listen, if your wilderness is grief that you're walking through, God will make that right and whole in the end. If your wilderness is hurt from a relationship, maybe even a relationship of another Christian, or even in your own church, God will make that right in the end. Verses 9 and 10 are, are obviously maybe the heavier, the justice side of all this. But really what he's getting at is he's trying to help us see this glorious future that is to come. And that's supposed to help us in the present. However, our future will primarily be about experiencing the fruits and the blessings of God making all things new. Another way of saying this is he says it a similar way in this passage. When the lies stop, the rejoicing and the exalting will begin. That's our future. We live in this broken world, but it's not always going to be this way. He closes by talking about a faithful king there in verse 11. You see, those who are faithful through the wilderness, they're going to experience eternal joy. There's a reward for your perseverance. As we have seen in these, these past weeks, we'll immediately get to experience that, that garden of paradise. And then when uh, God sets up this, uh, this uh, thousand-year reign of Christ, there's going to be this perfect rule of the king where things function as they're supposed to function. And then eternity is going to be this thing where all things are, are made new. There's no more waiting in the wilderness in your future. So, so whatever is causing you to suffer in the here and now, that's not going to exist in the next life. The fate of the faithful king is joyous rejoicing in God and with God. Another way of saying this is that the thirsty will be full. The wounded soul will be satisfied. When I started studying Psalm 63, I felt like the psalmist was like reading my prayer journal. Um, I don't know about you, but when I'm in those seasons of being stuck in the wilderness, my soul thirsts. Verse 1. Isn't that a great description about where we are in those seasons? It's in those moments where our souls are thirsty, meaning that we're not encouraged, we're not enlivened, we're pessimistic, we're cynical. I'm, I'm the world's worst glasses half-empty person. My wife can tell you many stories of that reality. I'm not hopeful, I'm not, and, I'm, and I'm not happy. My, my heart is dry, my heart is hard. My soul thirsts in those moments. But, but when, when I'm there longer than a moment before a season, it's typically because I'm forgetting that Jesus is the living water. That's when I get dry is I forget that, listen, I've got this living water out here, this living water that's better than and more powerful than any circumstance that I'm facing. I, I've got this, this access to living water. Jesus says it this way in John 7, if anyone thirsts, let him come after me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus is where we find refreshment in those moments. Jesus is where we can go to if everything is falling down around us. We still have that source of living water. And listen, it's not meant to diminish the hard things that are going on around us. It's just saying, but we still have something better. And I don't know how bad it is, we still have something better. And again, those things are not unimportant, right? 
Listen, your finances are important. The, the, the health of your friendships and your marriage is important. Sh- shepherding your children is important. Succeeding in work is important. Politics is important. All this is saying is, is that there's something better out there. And, and listen, it's saying the way it's better, as you look at that list of important things, all those things are always changing, aren't they? And all those things are also broken at some level. That's how this living water is better. It never changes. And it's as great as it's ever going to be. It's not broken in any way. We have this living water that is better than all of that. Waiting in the wilderness can lead to a soul-killing reality, but it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. God can bring us into the wilderness, and God can do really good things in the wilderness. Like we referenced, you know, the Exodus, and we referenced Adam and Eve. But, but God took Paul into the wilderness. And Paul, for the rest of his life, uh, saw how God redeemed the wilderness, and he did great things in the wilderness. Jesus himself was led by the Spirit. The Spirit of God himself led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. But God met him there. God redeemed the wilderness for him. So we can long for him over the perfect marriage. We can go closer to him into his sanctuary over trying to find living water through perfect children or a perfect family. We can remember that Jesus' hesed, unconditional, steadfast love is better than the love of someone else. Maybe that boy or that girl who doesn't love you back or doesn't like you back. As hard as that is, you've got something better. We can cling to Him when our worries wake us up in the middle of the night. We can believe that He's working good, even to the degree of making all things new and right and whole. What I'm saying is, is no matter your circumstances, no matter the burden, we can remember you see, clinging to Him by remembering things, that's what, uh, that's what brings uh, living water to our thirsty souls. It's about going close to Him in those dark seasons. Let me ask you this. As you just kind of evaluate your life right now, are, are you close to God or are you far away from God? Now, now listen, there's an aspect of that. If, if you've been born again, then that's a call to, to come close to Him. You've, you're his elect. You've trusted him. You've experienced his salvation. Go, go back to that living water. Listen, for some of you, if I ask that question, that might mean that, that you're far from him, meaning you're not right with him. You've never given over your life to him. You've never trusted him. You've never placed your faith in him. And if you're real honest, you're looking for your happiness. You're looking for your eternity, maybe in something in the created world or maybe in your own self. Maybe you're, you're saying, listen, I don't need any of that. that. That's for people who are weak and have a crutch, and I would say you're right, and I walk with a lamp, and so do you. You need it just like we all need it. So listen, when I ask that question, are you close to God or far away? Listen, if that means that you've never taken that step of trusting Him, God's blessed us with some great uh, elders and pastors, and when we break here in a minute and begin to sing, some of those guys are going to be in the back, and they just want to visit with you and pray with you, answer questions that you have. They'll, they'll slip out if you want and, and go to a quiet place just to talk and, and be alone and, and just have some quietness to pray for you. But listen, this is a call to find your soul satisfaction in Him, no matter the circumstances of your life. This is a call to come close to Him. And if you're far away from him today, don't waste today. I read a a story this week about a a lady named Julie and her husband, and they were stuck in the wilderness. They they were trying to adopt. 
but, but they found that they were stuck in this waiting time. And if you've a- adopted a child before, you, you know what this is like. Like you're waiting to hear back from the adoption agency. And then you're waiting to hear back, okay, was that application that we spent hours and hours on, was that accepted or did we do one thing wrong and then it's all kicked out of the system? They were waiting to hear back about the home inspection. They were waiting to be matched with a birth mother. They were waiting on court dates. And at each step of those, those waiting steps, Julie confessed that, that she was just really battling all these what-if fears. Like, you know, what if the adoption agency rejects us for some reason? Like, what if we filled out something wrong in the application? We got to start all over again. Like, what if, you know, just the lady who's going to come and, and, and she scheduled an appointment to see our house and, you know, and to interview us? What if, what if she doesn't like us for some reason? What if the birth mother changes her mind and, you know, we've gone down this track? She was just filled with all these fears, these what if fears. Julie admitted that waiting in the wilderness was hard. She, she wanted, and hear this, she wanted to control all these things that she could not control. You see, she wanted a desired outcome, and in so many ways, that was just completely out of her hands, wasn't it? And she wanted to control all this, and she was waiting on the Lord. However, even though uh, she desired the outcome of adoption, she had to get to a place of trusting in a good and loving God better than any desired outcome. That's pretty big league, isn't it? That's pretty big league when you're waiting there for the Lord. You want this desired outcome, and it's a good outcome. But, if you, but is God better than the desired outcome? Julie had to capture her fearful thoughts and go back to her gospel confession. You see, her trust was in a person, not in an outcome. Amen. Her person was this creator God who rules over all things. This person that she was trusting was the one who got up on the cross and died for her sins and forgave her and, and, and brought her into not being an enemy of her anymore, but brought her into his family. She was uh, the heavenly father's adopted child, and she knew that that person loved her, loved her in ways that she couldn't even understand. He loved her at just levels that didn't even make sense, and she wouldn't be able to comprehend. This person uh, loves also this baby more than she was ever going to be able to love it. How about that? you see while stuck in the wilderness of waiting julie began to remember she confessed that this season was killing her soul but she began to find her solution in the presence of god when her soul was thirsty she went back to jesus and his promised living water you see brothers and sisters we're stuck in the waiting of the wilderness it's easy to remember all of our earthly promises but what God is calling us to is to remember the promises of God, to remember that Hesed love. When we're stuck in the wilderness, remember the heavenly promises. Remembering brings living water to thirsty souls. Let's pray. Father God, I, <laughs> I love this psalm. Lord, I thank you for uh, just the sweet truths of this psalm. I, I thank you that maybe so many of us have been there Maybe so many of us know these truths. I, I, I thank you uh, that you've drawn us back to us. I, I pray that you've drawn all of us back to remembering these truths. But we never need to stray far from them. There's going to be times where you bring us into the wilderness and we're just going to have to wait. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that trust you so much, that love you so much, that believe in you so much, that have found so much satisfaction in you that we would uh, be able to rejoice even when the circumstances are not going the way that we want. Lord, I pray if there's somebody in here that has no idea what David was talking about in Psalm 63. 
Someone in here that has never come close to you and tasted that living water. I pray that today will be the day that they do that. I pray that they would slip to the back and talk with one of these pastors or elders so that we could pray for them. In Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen.